New polling shows Democrats behind on nearly every major issue. Democrats can't stop doubling down on stupid, and America's spoiled brats are on the march. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Your data is your business. protected at expressvpn.com. Slash Ben. Well, we keep hearing that inflation is transitory. It's not going to be a big deal. There's only one problem. Um, it doesn't seem super transitory at this point in time. Plus, Joe Biden's plan is to spend more money than has ever yet been created in the history of humanity and then raise taxes to boot. So if you are looking to diversify your income streams and ensure that your savings are protected, you might want to look at Birch Gold. In April alone, consumer prices increased by 4.2%. That was the biggest bump since 2008. Higher fuel prices, higher food prices, construction costs, housing prices. Inflation is here. Have you protected your savings, your investments? If you've not yet diversified a portion into precious metals, the answer is no. So I'm going to tell you again, if you haven't reached out to my friends at Birch Gold to diversify part of your IRA or 401k into a precious metals IRA, do it today. Text Ben to 474747. Get a free information kit on protecting your savings with gold. I buy my gold from Birch Gold because they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Countless five-star reviews, over 10,000 happy customers. Talk to them, ask them all your questions, and then once you feel secure, have them help you safeguard your savings at least a little bit. Text Ben to 474747 when you make a purchase before June 30th. Birch Gold will send you a signed copy of my book, How to Destroy America, in three easy steps for free while supplies last. Again, text Ben to 474747. Protect your savings today. All righty, so... Democrats have a real problem here. The problem is people don't actually like what it is that they are selling. According to Axios over the weekend, the Democratic messaging group Future Majority in May released a deck identifying areas where Republicans hold an advantage. Ready for this? Of the issues polled, defunding the police, open borders, and reparations for slavery were by far the biggest turnoffs for both independents and voters in general. And so all of those have to do with the Democrats' racial equity program. The suggestion that America is deeply unjust requires that we get rid of the police or defund the police or defang the police. We have to have open borders as some sort of guilt notion on behalf of the United States. And reparations for slavery, of course, is deeply tied into the idea that America remains systemically racist and that all inequalities of outcome are due to historic grievances. Republicans, however, didn't just stop there. They also bested Democrats. Again, this is according to Future Majority, a Democratic messaging group. Republicans also bested Democrats on jobs and the economy, gun rights, and keeping you and your family safe. So all of the things, right? Those are all the issues. There are no other issues. Maybe Democrats best Republicans on like climate change, which is Americans' 97th concern, considering it is a thing that is going to happen over the course of a century. We still don't know exactly how much human activities have contributed to it. And even if we did, we don't really know how to handle it, aside from taking some sort of adaptation measures. According to Axios, the poll, Future Majority wrote in its report on the findings shows voters, especially independents, believe the Democrats overspend as well. So this means the Democrats have overstepped on nearly every aspect of their agenda. But the problem is this for the Democrats. They cannot stop the overstep. They cannot. It is too deeply rooted to their core ideology. Democrats made a shift between 2010 and 2012. And that shift was they were going to move away from broadcasting and instead they were going to start narrowcasting. Barack Obama did, in fact, transform the United States. He did so in extraordinarily negative ways, not through kind of Joe Biden or FDR or LBJ spending programs alone. It wasn't just Obamacare. It was how he shifted the notion of how American politics was done. Instead of American politics being a battle between two sides to sort of lock down their base and then move out to the middle and try and approach the middle. Instead, American politics became a game in which you reached out to very specific slices of particular demographics, and then you gave them giveaways, goodies, almost as though you were trying to put together some sort of omnibus package in the Senate, right, where you give somebody a path here and there's some log rolling here. 
Instead, it was an intersectional coalition that was brought together only by opposition to that evil right wing. And, and Barack Obama was very clear about this in 2010 and 2012. In 2008, when Barack Obama was elected, he was elected on the basis of broadcasting, right? Casting to the broadest possible net. And then after 2008, when he became president and there was opposition to, the, to his program from the Tea Party, when he lost Congress in 2010, when he took, as he said, a shellacking, when that happened, suddenly his mindset shifted because it was not a rebuke to his program. After all, Barack Obama was too brilliant and godlike a figure for people to rebuke his agenda. I mean, if you ever read or listen to anything Obama says, the problem was never his agenda. It was, pro- it was always how he expressed his agenda, right? He just wasn't able to get across. He, from on high, the Zeus-like figure, was unable to cast his thunderbolts of joy in such a way that the American public were capable of receiving it. It was always a messaging problem. And so instead, he's, he, he interpreted his own failures and the failures of his political program to be popular. He interpreted that as American racism, as deep-seated American bigotry, despite the fact that the overwhelming majority of American voters in 2008 elected him. And so he immediately began trying to cobble together a coalition that was rooted in the idea that there was an ascendant demographic minority that was eventually going to be a demographic majority and simply swamp the right. And Donald Trump was a reaction to that. If there is a racial aspect to America's politics, which undoubtedly at this point, unfortunately, there is, it was not started by Donald Trump. It was started by Barack Obama and Democrats who declared overtly and repeatedly, and, and thinkers like Ronald Brownstein, who repeatedly said, that there was this demographic minority that was going to swamp the white demographic majority and that the browning of America inevitably meant the making Democrat of America. Now, that isn't true. It's a lie. In fact, as you see in the last election cycle, Republicans are starting to make inroads into browner and browner communities. As Florida has gotten demographically browner, it has also gotten demographically more Republican because it turns out that race is not, in fact, destiny. It turns out the demographics are not actually destiny. Right? People can change their minds. People change how they think. People even change how they think of themselves, which is why there are two categories on the American census, Hispanic, and then whether you think of yourself as Hispanic or whether you think of yourself as white, right? People think of themselves in different racial categories, sort of depending on how they think about themselves. But Democrats don't believe that. They have a racially essentialist viewpoint, right? That is in fact rooted in, as we've been discussing, critical race theory, this idea that there are certain essentials to being black or essentials to being Asian or essentials to being anything with regard to ethnicity. And this separates you off from the white demographic majority. And therefore, you are part of the intersectional coalition. Now, if you reject that, then you've rejected your own racial essentialism. And this means that you're a self-hating black person if you're Clarence Thomas. Or it means that you're a a self-hating Asian person if you don't side with this coalition of the ascendant. Okay, well, what this means is that Democrats are deeply wedded to this program. Because again, They have pegged all of their hopes for future success, not on the popularity of their actual political programs. You can see this throughout, right? Democrats are being handed poll after poll showing people don't like their policies on crime. They're being shown poll after poll that Americans do not like their policies with regard to the border. Poll after poll that Americans are not interested in their policies with regard to racial reparations and new new forms of racial discrimination. Americans just don't like it, but they cannot let go of it because to let go of it would mean to let go of the new vision of politics wrought by Barack Obama and to go back to the old vision of politics in which you had to forge consensus and find common policy. It was a more Clintonian notion of how politics was done. Barack Obama's notion was, if I forge enough of a core, I can just do whatever the hell I want. And you see that this is how Democrats are playing this thing out. And so they've been militarizing the American government and weaponizing the American government in ways that, frankly, would have made Donald Trump blush. We heard over and over and over, that Bill Barr was simply a partisan on behalf of Donald Trump. Now, we know that's not true. We do. Bill Barr repeatedly did not do 
what Trump wanted him to do. Trump obviously wanted him to initiate some sort of prosecution against Hillary Clinton, right? Jeff Sessions was pressured to do that. Jeff Sessions was pressured to intervene with, with regard to the Russian collusion investigation. Right? His, his attorneys general, Donald Trump, I've never seen an administration where the president was so in conflict with his own attorneys general to the point where President Trump was constantly ripping on his original AG, Jeff Sessions, and suggesting that he was not loyal. In fact, by the end of his term in office, AG Sessions, by, by, by the time that Sessions left, Trump was ripping him so often that Sessions couldn't even go back to his seat in the Senate in Alabama and said Tommy Tuberville took over his seat in Alabama because Trump overtly endorsed his opponent. Same thing with Bill Barr. Right? Bill Barr started off and Trump was in love with the guy. And then by the end of his tenure, Trump hated the guy. Right? There's, a, there's a new piece in The Atlantic talking about William Barr and Trump and how Barr was telling Trump pretty overtly that all of the election fraud stuff was overblown and that, in fact, he had lost the election and Trump was very angry at him over all of this. Not so with Democrats. This is why it was so galling to watch Democrats in the media suggest that Bill Barr was some sort of cat's paw for Trump, that he was just doing whatever Trump wanted. It was so clearly untrue. But I'll tell you who is doing that. The great and heralded Merrick Garland, RIP, because he never made it on the Supreme Court. But Merrick Garland is the new attorney general. So over the weekend, he announced a lawsuit against the state of Georgia. Now, the only reason this is partisan politics, the DOJ is being weaponized against police departments around the nation again, on the basis of this racial equity campaign that has nothing to do with reality and, in fact, undermines the safety and security of Americans, particularly minority Americans. The DOJ is being weaponized against police departments all over the country, as we'll get to. And the DOJ is now being used as a legal cudgel against states that do not see voting in the same way the Democrats wish to see voting, namely ballot harvesting, no ID, loosening all the requirements to allow for the possibility of stuffing the ballot box and voter fraud. Right, so Georgia passes this voter law. Remember, Georgia's voter law is still more permissive than voter laws in Joe Biden's home state of Delaware. It is still more permissive than the voter laws in places, I, I believe, like New Jersey and New York. It doesn't matter. Merrick Garland is now using, in highly partisan fashion, the Department of Justice to go after the state of Georgia. And this is nothing new. Eric Holder proclaimed himself Barack Obama's wingman while he was AG. No one batted an eye. Both Jeff Sessions and Bill Barr were directly at odds with Trump over and over and over again, because Trump was repeatedly asking them to do things that did not comply with their oath of office, and they just rejected it. Here's Merrick Garland rejecting his own oath of office. Okay, there's no grounds for this lawsuit against Georgia at all. I've read the lawsuit against Georgia. It doesn't make any sense. It's going to get laughed out of court if there is a judge with half a brain. Nonetheless, here's the great and heralded bipartisan figure, Merrick Garland, just doing the bidding of the Biden administration. Today, the Department of Justice is suing the state of Georgia. Our complaint alleges that recent changes to Georgia's election laws were enacted with the purpose of denying or abridging the right of black Georgians to vote on account of their race or color in violation of Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. Okay, this is a joke. It's a joke. The Voting Rights Act was specifically designed to prevent states from preventing black people from voting. This is a new, these are laws of neutral applicability that affect black citizens and white citizens equally. Okay. And the fact is that, again, they are more permissive in many ways than the law was before this law was passed. Okay. The DOJ is ramming it down anyway. To understand how nefarious this is, you need to understand the DOJ, the chief law enforcement body in the country, right, is the highest level of law enforcement in the country. They prosecute. They are now being used in order to silence legislatures in Republican-led states. Okay, the judiciary cannot go along with this. According to the DOJ itself, the United States' complaint contends that several provisions of Senate Bill 202 were adopted with the purpose of denying or abridging the right to vote on account of race. Now, they show no evidence whatsoever, none in the entire complaint 
that this was done with the quote unquote purpose of getting black people not to vote because they can't show that because it wasn't. Okay, there's nothing in the consideration of the bill that is race specific. There's nothing about the bill that is race specific. And in fact, in many ways, again, this enshrines the ability of people to vote early. It actually opens up additional days when people can vote. All it does is it includes voter ID. All it does is it prevents more drop boxes, which are very hard to monitor, for example. But what exactly is the DOJ challenging? They're challenging several provisions of Senate Bill 202, according to the DOJ, including a provision banning government entities from distributing unsolicited absentee ballot applications. So in other words, they're stopping people from sending to your house absentee ballot applications because you should have to request one if you actually want to vote absentee. It's a way of cracking down on voter fraud. The imposition of costly and onerous fines on civic organizations, churches, and advocacy groups that distribute follow-up absentee ballot applications. In other words, we are not going to allow people to simply distribute these things without the government's purview. The shortening of the deadline to request absentee ballots to 11 days before election day, which of course is designed to prevent people from receiving the absentee ballot the day before. And then it creates all sorts of issues after the absentee ballot deadline comes in. The requirement that voters who do not have identification issued by the Georgia Department of Driver Services photocopy another form of ID in order to request an absentee ballot without allowing for the use of the last four digits of a social security number for such applications. Okay, in other words, voter ID, significant limit. Like none of these things are racist. There's nothing. And, and the evidence that the DOJ provides in its complaint that racism is at hand here is so scanty and ridiculous. But again, everything has to be about race because it's all about holding together the coalition of the supposedly oppressed with the glue that there is some evil oppositional party out there that is trying to stop you from feeling your power, which is weird coming from a party that currently controls the House, the Senate and the presidency. It doesn't matter. Again, this is all about building that future demographic, and they're not going to let go of these arguments because it is the great hope of the Democratic Party. We'll get into more of this in just one second. First, let's talk about a simple fact. If you have people who rely on you, you need life insurance. It's that simple. If you are a responsible person, you need to make sure that, God forbid, something happens to you, you get hit by an anvil in like a Looney Tunes cartoon, now you're dead. Well, you got a problem. Because number one, you're dead. But number two, your family is going to go without your stream of income unless you have life insurance. Policy Genius makes it really easy to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. Why compare? You could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. In fact, you could save 1300 bucks or more per year on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare policies. The licensed experts at Policy Genius work for you, not the insurance companies, so you can trust them to help you navigate every step of the shopping and buying process. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius an excellent rating on Trustpilot. Getting started, super simple. First, head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro in minutes. You can work out how much life insurance coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. When you're ready to apply, the Policy Genius team will handle the paperwork and the scheduling for free. Policy Genius never sells your information to other companies, and they're not going to add on extra fees. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, is nice and quite important to get it right. Go check them out right now, policygenius.com slash Shapiro. Okay, so what exactly does the DOJ show in order to demonstrate that Georgia is racist? Here is what they say in their complaint. SB 202's passage followed a series of historic wins by multiple black preferred candidates. A significant and well-publicized rise in black political mobilization and voting strength, shifting racial demographics in the state, including an increase in the number of black and Latino voters, and changes to the state's typical election procedures that resulted from the ongoing pandemic, including a notable increase in absentee voting. Okay, is any of that evidence that this was done for purposes of race? In fact, no. In fact, the last part of the sentence debunks the first part of the sentence. Number one, the notion that if a black preferred candidate wins, you can't change voting procedures suggests that one racial group is supposed to run the outcome of elections, which, of course, is very silly. And the DOJ is not really even allowed to make that argument in court because, of course, it's racially discriminatory. Beyond that, 
it is pretty obvious that the state did this in response to the exact pandemic voting procedures that were put in place. In many cases, it turns out in many states, without proper legal auspices. Also, according to the DOJ, this must be a racist law because the total black population in Georgia has been rising and because black voter turnout rose as well. And also because, quote, black Georgians undertook substantial new efforts to harness their political power in 2018 when Stacey Abrams, a black candidate, ran for governor. The 2018 yielded high turnout among black voters and other voters of color and specifically encouraged their use of absentee ballots. Also, during early voting and on Election Day in 2018, advocates and organizations helped to ensure that voters who faced long lines, often voters of color, had basic food and water. Okay, this is supposed to be striking at the New Georgia restriction that basically says you're not allowed to bribe people who are in line if they're 150 feet from a polling place. All of this, there's no evidence for, for any of this demonstrating that the Georgia voting law is racist at all. All they say over and over is that a bunch of people we like won in 2020, and now they are changing the law, and we don't like that they're changing the law, therefore it's racist. They pretty much say this, right? The November 2020 general election in Georgia resulted in historic firsts that reflect significant demographic and political shifts in the state. For example, Vice President Kamala Harris became the first black and Indian American vice president ever elected. Okay, hold up. Barack Obama ran in 2012 and in, and in 2008. He didn't win Georgia either time. But he was still the first black president who was elected. So what exactly does Georgia have to do with vice? By the way, you don't really vote for vice president. You vote for the ticket. And really, you vote for Joe Biden at the top of the ticket. But again, the DOJ is not about enforcing the law. The DOJ is about enforcing, at this point, democratic political preferences. And it's not merely that the DOJ is going after, for example, states like Georgia without any legal basis. The DOJ is also going after the police. The DOJ has been attempting to cram down on police departments all over the country, consent decrees. This is the exact same thing, by the way, that the Obama administration did. Right? Senator Tom Cotton has pointed out that the DOJ is now spiked with radicals. Right? The, the, he, he tweeted out, Biden has stacked the Department of Justice with radicals who want to defund the police, which of course is true. The DOJ officials, Kristen Clark and Vanita Gupta, are the anti-police radicals in question. Cotton said, quote, President Biden has stacked his DOJ with the anti-police radicals like Clark and Gupta, America's police officers already face enough danger and hardship. They shouldn't have to worry if the DOJ will also have their back. And this, of course, is very true. If you look at their records, both Clark and Gupta are defund the police specialists. I mean, they, they talk repeatedly about the evils of the American police. So, again, these are two issues on which Americans just disagree with Democrats. Democrats do not have the capacity to let it go. In fact, they're going to gaslight you. In the same way that Barack Obama said you don't oppose his policies, it must be that you're racist. Now, you have Democrats telling you that if you're worried about crime, it must be because you're either hysterical or racist. It doesn't matter that we've had the greatest spike in crime in modern American history over the period 2019 to 2021. And it doesn't matter that that actually began in 2014, 2015 with the Obama administration poo-pooing crime and riots in places like Ferguson and Baltimore. No, if you're in a major city and you're worried about rising crime, it must be because you're hysterical, which is weird because it turns out that Black voters largely in New York City voted for Eric Adams, who is the pro-cop candidate in New York City. Here is Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, the irrepressible, so fresh, so faced, so brilliant, so many IQ points bouncing around that empty head. It's pretty incredible. Here is AOC explaining that if you're worried about spiking crime, it's because you are hysterical. She, she better not be applying that word to women. You're not allowed to apply that word to women, hysterical. Here she is. We are seeing these headlines about percentage increases. Now, I want to say that any amount of harm is unacceptable and too much. But I also want to make sure that this hysteria, you know, that this doesn't drive a hysteria and that we look at these numbers in context so that we can make responsible re decisions about what to allocate um, 
in that context. You're hysterical. And look at the, look at the numbers in context, because if there's somebody who's just a, a mistress of, of complexity and contextualization, it is the irrepressible Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. Now, again, if you look at the spike in murders, it didn't start in 2020. It started in 2019. If you look at the spike year over year in crime rates, it started a few years back. So no, you're not hysterical if you're worried about record crime rates in most of major metropolitan areas with regard to violent crime. But it doesn't matter. You are, right? Because it must have something to do with race. Here's Cedric Richmond, a Biden senior advisor, dismissing Republican concerns about crime. Senator Graham doesn't have a clue. And let's talk about who defunded the police. Uh, when we were in Congress last year trying to pass a rescue plan, oh, I'm sorry, not the rescue plan, but an emergency relief plan for cities that were cash-strapped and laying off police and firefighters, it was the Republicans who objected to it. And in fact, they didn't get funding until the American Rescue Plan, which our plan allowed state and local governments to replenish their police departments and do the other things that are needed. So look, Republicans are very good at uh, staying on talking points of who says defund the police, but the truth is they defunded the police. Okay, they're so panicked about their own positions right now that they are hysterically projecting onto Republicans defund the police. Own it, guys. You're the ones who wanted to bail out rioters last year. Just own it. This is so absurd on its face. But again, this is part of the broader Democratic agenda from which they cannot separate. They are ideologically committed to this agenda. We'll get to more of this in just one second. First, let us talk about a simple fact, right? Helix Sleep Mattresses, they're great. I've talked to you about them before. But now they're not just making mattresses. Now, Helix has launched a new company called Allform. They're making premium, customizable sofas and chairs shipped directly to your door. So, what makes an all-form sofa really cool? Well, for starters, it is the easiest way you can customize a sofa using premium materials at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. You can pick your fabric. It is spill, stain, and scratch resistant. You can pick the sofa color, the color of the legs, sofa size, shape. You make sure it is perfect for you and your home. They've got armchairs and love seats all the way up to an eight-seat sectional. So there is something for everyone. And you can always start small and buy more seats later on if you want your all-form sofa to grow and change with you when you move. All-form sofas are delivered directly to your door. In the past, if you wanted to order a sofa, you'd need to hire someone to come and assemble it in your home or break your back trying to put it together yourself. Allform has simple, quick assembly, no tools needed. I do have an Allform sofa. It is fantastic. My kids are constantly jumping on it. They compete to sleep on it. It's so good. It's a three-seat sofa with chaise in the sand color with espresso legs. And if getting a sofa without trying it in store sounds risky, don't worry. You have 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. And also, they've got a forever warranty literally for all time. To find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com. I got one for my mom as well. That's how good Allform is. Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners at allform.com. That is allform.com. Okay, so again, Democrats ideologically committed to an agenda that Americans just don't like. The latest example of this is, of course, their attempt to turn the George Floyd situation into a, referen a referendum on both policing writ large and American racism writ large. Again, no evidence presented in the Derek Chauvin trial at all that Derek Chauvin did this on the basis of race. None. They, they literally provided zero evidence of this. And yet it has become somehow a talking point and a point of, of sort of natural assumption that Derek Chauvin is the face of American white racism and George Floyd is the face of black victimization at the hands of white Americans. It's, it's kind of wild. Again, no evidence was provided to that at all, but that's being used as, as the lever with which to project Democrats' ideas of quote-unquote equity into the public space. And people don't like it. People don't believe in it. It's why you're seeing all this kickback about critical race theory. The polls show Americans are not interested in this sort of stuff. And then the second prong of that is that Derek Chauvin is supposed to represent police officers writ large. 
And you know who's pushing this is Keith Ellison. Okay, Keith Ellison is one of the greatest radicals in the Democratic Party. He's now the AG of the state of Minnesota. But when he was in Congress, Keith Ellison was a racial radical par excellence. And now he's pushing the idea that he has a unifying agenda. And his unifying agenda is go after the cops. At the same time, Democrats are like, no, Republicans are defunding the police. You've got Keith Ellison saying that we need to use prosecutors to go after cops pretty much everywhere. Quote, the Justice Department must also be a partner in prosecuting cases when local prosecutions fail to win convictions or fail to act, is according to Keith Ellison in the Washington Post. So it's not just we have to get local prosecutors to go after bad cops. We have to have the Justice Department sit on top of every police department in the United States. The Biden administration's return to conducting investigations into biased policing patterns and practices is also welcome. Again, notice the language. It's about biased policing patterns and practices, right? We're not going to demonstrate actual racism. Any evidence of inequality of outcome, more black people being pulled over for traffic tickets, more black people being arrested for murder. That is obviously an expression of deep-seated American racism. So Democrats can keep pushing this, but it's not going to be particularly popular. And same thing when it comes to the border. Again, remember, the poll that came from that Democratic group showed that the issues where Democrats were most unpopular were policing, the border, public safety issues, because obviously they've decided to elevate their own bizarre version of equity over the safety of American citizens, which disproportionately affects minority citizens. Well, over the last three days, Kamala Harris decided that she was going to finally go down and visit the border. But by the border, she meant somewhere in the general vicinity of Mexico. She went down to El Paso, which is a border town, but is not where the border crisis is happening. In fact, she sort of jet-setted in. She sat very, very many feet away from the border. And then she talked about how evil the Trump administration was, of course. She visited the border just like she visited Europe. It's very exciting stuff. I visited the border over the weekend, you know, because I was like down in Miami and that's like the border with the ocean. So it's like the same thing, kind of. Here's Kamala Harris. As you know, we inherited a tough situation. Um, in fact, right here in El Paso was the, 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 the launch of the child separation policy. You saw it as it rolled out on the ground in real time. Um, we have looked at a, a, a system where um, people have been housed in inhumane conditions over the last many years. Um, an asylum system that has been broken and that needs to be reconstructed. Yeah, she's so bad at all this. Blaming Trump for everything while you have a record number of people arriving at the border because you've been pushing open borders rhetoric is pretty wild. Also, Jen Psaki was asked specifically why Kamala Harris was visiting now and, she, and why she didn't go to the border, why she went to El Paso, right, which is a, a largely democratic town. Why'd you go to El Paso as opposed to going down to, you know, the actual border where the problems are happening or visiting? at one of the holding facilities or something. And Jen Psaki was like, because Trump, this is going to be the Democrats' constant refrain over and over. And guess what? Trump ain't president, guys. You own it. El Paso has um, an interesting history, uh, as you may know, uh, because it was the uh, place where the former president uh, kind of, it was a base place of where he put in place some of his immigration policies that we felt were so problematic. Uh, and so it's a, it's a place that has a little bit of a historical connection in that regard, and it's an opportunity to uh, draw a bit of a contrast with what we're trying to accomplish. Oh, so it's all about, it's all about Trump, always and forever. Kevin McCarthy, of course, then ripped Kamala Harris, as well he should. Here is the House Minority Leader, soon to be House Majority Leader, by the way, in 2022. Well, it seemed like she spent more time at the airport than she spent at the border. But to literally say that they inherited a problem and they made progress, none of those facts play out. You have a border that was secure. You have a new administration that changed executive orders 
and invited people to rush the border illegally. Now in May, we had 180,000 encounters. That was a 21-year record of illegal crossings. For the last three months, it has increased. Okay, and he's right about all of this. Meanwhile, again, Democrats keep getting caught up in their own vision of what America should be as opposed to what America is. And this is particularly true with regard to Joe Biden's agenda. So over the weekend, we saw this bizarre situation in which Joe Biden, once again, I mean, he is not all there. And it is perfectly obvious at this point that he is not all there because he makes comments and then his team has to rush out of the wings and wheel old Joe back, feed him his cream of wheat, put him down for a nap. And then they have like Ron Klain come out and clarify what exactly he meant. Or they put out a written statement where Joe Biden can't fumble over his own words and get into a physical fist fight with the teleprompter. It's insane. So you remember that late last week on Thursday, there was a group of Republicans and Democrats and Joe Biden. They all came together at the White House and they announced they had a bipartisan deal on infrastructure. And Kamala Harris was creepily hanging out like behind a pillar kind of staring at uh, at the man whose job she will eventually take. Don't be a food taster at the White House, gang. It's a bad, bad job. Okay, so you remember that. And you remember, they announced we have a bipartisan deal. And then within just a couple of hours, Joe Biden was out there saying, well, yeah, we have a, we have a bipartisan deal on this part, but I'm, I'm not going to sign that unless we also pass through reconciliation this giant bill. Okay, and everybody went, wait, hold up. That's not a bipartisan deal then. If I say to you, I promise to buy from you this, this used car, and you say, I'm willing to sell you this used car. And I say, yes, I will buy from you this used car. Also, I insist that you sell me your house at a price I want to pay. That's not a deal. You've now changed the deal. So Joe Biden did that. And there was a lot of consternation on both sides of the aisle. It looked as though he had undercut Mitt Romney and Susan Collins and all the rest of the Republicans. Because all the rest of the Republicans were like, um, here we are holding the bag out here. Right? We came out here on behalf of bipartisanship. And you used us in order to have your photo op. And then you just undercut us. So no deal. Right? Behind closed doors, I am sure. Sure. And what Republicans were saying to Biden was, listen, if you insist on this being part of a package deal, we're not going through with any, you're not going to get past the filibuster. Not only that, we're not going to vote for it. So then Joe Biden had to walk it back. According to the New York Times, it was all going according to President Biden's tightrope plan to pass the most ambitious economic agenda in generations. Right until the moment that Mr. Biden, a politician with a history of rogue comments, veered off script. Understand, the reason that Biden did this is because he is more afraid of AOC and Bernie Sanders than he is of his actual base. And the people who are closer to center left or the people who just want to get things done in a practical way, he's scared crapless of the radical Democrats saying that he is insufficiently submitted to the, uh, committed to the cause. Because remember, Joe Biden's agenda, he knows he's not a two-term president. If he makes it through a first term and if he runs for a second term, he certainly is not making it through a second term. So he knows he's not making it eight years. So it's, I need to be a historic president right here, right now. And if I'm deprived of that by these Republicans who are filibustering, then I'm going to... You know, make my mark by basically shellacking them over and over and over. So that's why he walked back the bipartisan deal. After weeks of closed door negotiations, according to the New York Times, Mr. Biden strode to the cameras on White House driveway on Thursday, flanked by an equal number of Democratic and Republican lawmakers to proudly announce an overall infrastructure agreement totaling $1.2 trillion over eight years that could cement his legacy as a bipartisan dealmaker. Biden and his top aides had successfully struck a limited agreement with key centrist senators to rebuild roads and bridges while carefully signaling the liberals he still intended to embrace a measure likely to gain only Democratic support to spend trillions more on climate, education, childcare, and other economic priorities. It was an I told you so moment for a president who's supremely confident in his ability to navigate legislative negotiations. But in a stray comment during a news conference an hour later, the president blurted out he would not approve the compromise without the partisan bill. He said, if that's the only thing that comes to me, I'm not signing it. I'm not signing 
the bipartisan bill and forgetting about the rest. Come on, man. It may not seem like much, says the New York Times. It was enough to upend Biden's proud bipartisan moment. On the one hand, he was saying out loud what liberals in his party wanted to hear. But to centrist senators and and Republicans, it made explicit a notion that had only been hinted at before, that Biden not only intended to sign a second, more ambitious package, but that he would also go so far as to veto their bipartisan plan if the larger bill did not materialize. Senator Susan Collins said, we never had an inkling that would be any kind of linkage. We always knew there'd be another bill, but not that the success of the infrastructure package was going to be in any way dependent on the other bill. So the White House had to engage in damage control, and then they had to walk it back. And then Biden had to concede that he had misspoken. He had not misspoken, guys. He's saying the quiet part out loud, which is that he intends to shiv Republicans directly in the back, which is why they never should have gone along with this dumb deal in the first place. Mitt Romney, always of generous spirit, suggested, of course, that now he takes Biden at his word that he's delinking the two issues. Uh-huh. I do take the president at his word. And, uh, and over the weeks and weeks of negotiations with Democrats and with the White House on an infrastructure bill, uh, the, uh, the president's other agenda was never linked to the infrastructure effort. Uh, we came to an agreement on the infrastructure effort in a way that uh, I think is really impressive. As you know, uh, it, it, it is true infrastructure, bridges, roads, rail, electric uh, utility support and so forth, and, uh, and without raising taxes. And so this is a bill which stands on its own. Okay, well, we'll see if the bill stands on its own or if Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema are just going to quietly go along with what it was that Biden was saying in the first place. And the Democrats, let the Democrats own it. I don't understand why Republicans would work with these people. Just don't give them what they want. Don't give them the veneer of bipartisanship on what is a heavily partisan agenda. And you say, oh, well, you know, we saved over the course of a decade $200 billion. Okay, and you also gave him the political wins that he can go out and continue to win on the basis of a lie, which is that he's a bipartisan president when he very much is not. Okay, in just a second, we're going to get to the spoiled brat problem in American public life. It is a very, very serious problem. First, the Daily Wire has several open positions for our in-house team in Nashville. In particular, we are looking for a human resources coordinator to join our HR team. This person will be dedicated to providing administrative support to Daily Wire's HR manager, as well as the HR department at large. He or she will have the opportunity to be exposed to and provide support on a wide variety of HR-related tasks and projects in a high-energy, fast-paced work environment. If this sounds like something for you, then check it out. We are looking for someone with at least two years of previous professional HR experience in a similar role, somebody who's highly organized, detail-oriented, possesses excellent interpersonal skills. It's a full-time in-office position in Nashville, Tennessee. It's a great place to work. Candidates should apply through dailywire.com slash careers. You can check out all of our job listings over there, by the way, dailywire.com slash careers. Also, if you missed my episode of Sunday Special yesterday, now is your chance to catch up. I'm joined by none other than Russell Brand, actor turned podcaster. We discuss everything from philosophy to politics to spirituality and his own tumultuous experience with addiction. It's a fantastic conversation. It's out now for your listening pleasure. It's my favorite thing to do. It's it's a discussion. It is not a debate. And I think that we go through a lot of topics where we disagree in a respectful and interesting manner. Go check it out at dailywire.com or on my YouTube channel, Ben Shapiro. Daily Wire members get access to special bonus content from Sunday special episodes. Don't miss out. Join Daily Wire today. Also, if you haven't noticed, history is constantly being erased, rewritten. You don't need to look much further than the 1619 Project to see that the left is attempting to transform history to own the present. So it is now up to us to make sure that history is documented in a proper way. Otherwise, future generations aren't going to be aware of real history. For example, they're not going to be aware of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and his story. 
He tells that story in the documentary Created Equal. You'll remember it was delisted by Amazon during Black History Month. Of course, of course. The documentary is now only available to Daily Wire members. So if you want more stories that diverge from the accepted political narrative, go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Get 20% off your new membership with code justice. Again, Amazon delisted the video. Daily Wire took it up. We're streaming it ourselves. Make sure it's great for your kids, by the way. If they want to know about real American history over the course of the last 80 or so years, go check out dailywire.com. Get a membership and watch Created Equal. It is an excellent documentary. Join now, dailywire.com slash subscribe with code justice for 20% off your membership and get ready for an excellent documentary. Also, you have all the other great stuff that you get with membership. You get Candace's show, Candace Owens, or our first film run, Hide Fight, or my new series, Debunked, where I debunk leftist myths in 15 minutes or less. All sorts of good stuff happening and brand new content being added all the time when you become a member. Dailywire.com slash subscribe. Check out with 20% off using code justice. Don't wait. Start streaming today. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Okay, so where is all of this coming from in our political life? Where is this this deep feeling that Democrats are going to be able to cobble together this newfound majority. Where's it coming from? Because Barack Obama was a signal figure, figure in American political history. He was very good at his, at his rhetorical job. He was an excellent campaigner. He himself had unique personal characteristics that no other American candidate seems able to sort of put together. So where is all this Democratic confidence coming from that they're going to be able to be victorious with such a radical agenda that most Americans really don't like? And the answer is, I think, I think it lies in a sense that most Americans are disconnected from the rest of the world and from their own history. They're disconnected in the sense that they do not understand how far we have come. They do not understand what it is like to live any other place on earth. And this leads to an awful lot of ingratitude. And so you can look at your own life. It's so easy to look at your own life and see all the problems with your own life and and never think about the fact that you are living in like the top 1% of people who have ever lived on planet earth. And in fact, if you're living in the United States right now, you are still, in terms of global population, living in like the top, even if you're at like the very lowest end of the American economic spectrum, you are still living in the top quintile for sure of people who are living on planet Earth right now. There are lots of other countries on planet Earth. And a lot of those other countries, people are living in absolute horror and privation and poverty and repression by their government. And yet there's this enormous sense of ingratitude that Democrats bank on in order to push forward the idea that America must undergo some sort of fundamental systemic change. Gratitude is an understanding that you owe something to the past, and not only that you owe something to the past, maybe the people who came before you knew some things. But ingratitude believes that the entire system is corrupt. And just like a small child, my kids, they're ungrateful on a regular basis, and it's because they don't understand what they have. They don't understand how good their life is. They're, they're comparing their life to some utopian vision of what their life would be if they got everything that they wanted. Now, they're children, so what they want is usually very stupid. But that's also true, it turns out, of many people on the left. Many of the things that they actually want in life are not particularly beneficial for a society. More importantly, however, what it really relies on is, in, is a failure of understanding about the society in which they live and a belief that there are other societies out there that are so much better if only we did X. Or there's a utopia that we're comparing ourselves to and we'll never reach the utopia, but we'll get to the, we can gr- grow closer to that utopia by disregarding the past that brought us this far. Now, none of this is an argument that we should always eschew change, that we should never look at changing our systems, but it means that you ought to go carefully. If you recognize all the wonderful things in your life and all the wonderful things about this country, you might be a little bit careful about ripping on the country, broadly speaking, about deciding that all of the systems of the United States are a serious problem. And yet, because people live within the system, they don't understand the greatness of the system. They seem to assume that they are doing something positive 
when they believe that the system itself is inherently corrupt and rigged and terrible. Okay, so this comes to mind thanks to a couple of stories over the weekend. First, I just want to give you just a, a note of what it's like to live in other places in the world. And it is amazing. If you just read a book about what goes on in other places in the world, suddenly you might discover that America is a pretty damned fine place. It really is. And there are certain things we take for granted in American life that you can't take for granted nearly any other place on earth except for some areas of Western Europe and like Canada and Australia. And that's it, right? Every, every other place on earth is plagued by issues far worse than the United States. And so to take an example, over the weekend, Apple Daily shuttered. Apple Daily was a major Hong Kong newspaper. Hong Kong was a free state. It was guaranteed its freedom by a treaty between the Chinese government and the British government when the British decided to abdicate all responsibility in Hong Kong in the 1990s. And China recently just basically walked in and took the place over and now has subjected it to absolute communist privation. So that means they shut down the English edition of Apple Daily. Hong Kong's biggest pro-democracy newspaper just shut down willy-nilly. And we talk in the United States, you hear all these members of the press, oh, Trump, he was going to shut down. There is no danger to the free press in the United States. None on a serious level. The only danger to dissemination of ideas is through sort of corporate censorship, but certainly not the government stepping in and just shutting down newspapers willy-nilly the way things are happening in Hong Kong right now. The former managing editor was then arrested at the Hong Kong airport on charges of collusion. According to Axios, Apple Daily shuttered last week following the freezing of its assets under China's national security law. Journalist Feng Kong's arrest comes days after police arrested an Apple Daily columnist who publishes under the name Li Ping for allegedly, quote, conspiring to collude with foreign countries or foreign forces to endanger national security under the law. They also arrested seven journalists at the news outlet, which was, infounded, which was founded by the imprisoned tycoon Jimmy Lai. Under the law, the authorities charged Lai and other pro-democracy activists after they organized a massive protest in 2019. So they just shut down the newspaper willing. And this sort of stuff happens routinely all over the earth. But if you look at how Americans act, I'm sorry, but a huge percentage of Americans are just spoiled brats. They are just spoiled brats. We'll get to more on this in just one moment. First, let's be real. French fries, they're the only good vegetable. But unfortunately, they're not healthy. They're bad for you. Well, balance of nature, fruits and veggies are the most convenient way to get whole food ingredients every day, like the actual vegetables that they count toward you know, what you should be eating. Balance of Nature uses an advanced cold vacuum process that encapsulates fruits and veggies into whole food supplements without sacrificing those natural antioxidants. The capsules are completely void of additives, fillers, extracts, synthetics, pesticides, or added sugar. The only thing in Balance of Nature's fruit and veggie capsules are, you know, like the fruits and the veggies. Right now, my listeners can get 35% off their first order and they'll also get a free fiber and spice supplement. Balance of Nature's fiber and spice supplement is a revolutionary fiber drink with a unique blend of 12 spices and whole foods. I'm flying pretty much constantly for the last few months. Gotta tell you, I really rely on Balance of Nature. There's never been an easier way to make sure you're getting your daily dose of fruits and veggies. Experience Balance of Nature for yourself today. Go to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code Shapiro for 35% off your first order as a preferred customer. Plus, get a free bottle of fiber and spice. That's balanceofnature.com, promo code Shapiro for 35% off that first preferred order. Plus, that free bottle of fiber and spice. So to take a quick example of such spoiled bratishness, there's a, a woman named Gwen Berry. Okay, she's, in, she's a professional hammer thrower, right? So she's trying out for the Olympics. They had the Olympic trials. Okay, number one, in order to dedicate the amount of time necessary to become a very specific skill-setted person, like throwing a hammer, which by the way, they're not a lot of like job applicants for can you throw a hammer in the United States. There's just not a lot of open jobs for hammer thrower in the United States, which means you have to dedicate a significant amount of time to a pursuit that does not pay off economically. Okay, which demonstrates, again, a certain level of wealth in a nation. Typically, 
when people live in absolute privation, they don't actually have the time to dedicate enormous amounts of time to learning to throw a hammer properly. Okay, so Gwen Berry was competing in the Olympic trials and she came in third. And she came in third in the Olympic trials. I mean, she's going to the Olympics, but probably is not expected to do particularly well since she came in third in her own country before we even get to international competition. But even if she came in third at the Olympic trials, she came in first in the self-involvement Olympics because it turns out that they have a pre-scheduled every day during the Olympic trials at like 5.20 every day or 5.25 every day, they play the national anthem. Well, it turned out that she finished her event at about the time that the national anthem started playing. And so everybody in the stadium turned and started putting their hand over their heart. Gwen Berry did not. Right? Gwen Berry decided that it would, that the national anthem was just, it's too terrible. It's too awful. Her life is too awful as a hammer thrower in the Olympic trials for her to pay attention to the national. And not only that, she said she found it insulting. She said she felt targeted, that it was all, that it was all rigged, that it was designed to make her feel bad. So she turned away during the national anthem. And then, of course, we understand what the real rationale is here. The real rationale is she wants to make a buck. Because again, spoiled brats in American society make an awful lot of cash. They do really, really well. The more you whine about America in the United States, the more we reward you here in the United States. Another mark of a decadent society. Right? Here she is. She, she, she's proud of herself. So she tweeted out this picture of herself in a, in a particular in a, in, a, in a particular pose, right? With her hand on her hip and she's kind of throwing out her head and she's staring directly in the camera, right? She knows exactly where the cameras are. All of the other people on the podium are staring up at the flag. Everybody else in the stadium is staring up at the flag. She knows precisely where the camera is. She's staring directly at it, right? It's a direct in the camera look. And then she tweeted out, stop playing with me. Oh, the heroism. Oh, the absolute amazing heroism of this person. The self-involvement of this person. I mean, seriously, you finished third, ladies. I like you finished first. Okay, but then she held up a shirt saying, activist athlete. Oh, my, wow. wow. And what change she has affected in the United States? What unbelievable change she has affected in the United States? Listen, it's a free country. She can do exactly what she wants. And we are perfectly free to rip on the fact that this is a person who is utterly disconnected from the reality in which she and most other Americans live, which is you should be extremely grateful for all the problems the United States has. The, the simple gratitude of, you know, not being a horse's ass during the national anthem seems like a baseline minimum to being a mensch, to being like a decent person. But apparently not, because again, we live in a very spoiled society where people have no sense of context whatsoever at all, at all. That bodes poorly for the United States. But here's the thing. I think there will be blow back to this. Spoiled British behavior tends to earn the ire of the American public. Democrats are about to earn it in, uh, in terms of politics. Alrighty, we'll be back here later today with an additional hour of content. In the meantime, go check out the Michael Moles Show. Today, he discusses Joy Reid denying the existence of critical race theory. You can hear more details about that story over on Michael's show. That is available right now. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Elliot Feld. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Wydowski. Associate producer, Bradford Carrington. Post producer, Justin Barber. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant, Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright, Daily Wire 2021.
Our nation's top military brass goes woke. An Olympian disrespects the flag. And AOC gaslights on the crime surge. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values. And that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 